Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice. And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs in the B2B space. Giving you the inside tips, tricks, and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. Hi there, and welcome to this episode, episode 11 of Revenue Champions, the truth behind this content machine and how to do it. Today, we're joined by Mark, VP of Content and Community at Drift. I'm really excited to be joined by Mark today. I'm a longtime fan and customer of Drift, and so can't wait to dig in and see how Mark's managed to build out their winning content machine. It'll probably shock you to know that it's not been by chucking people at the problem, but actually they have a fairly modest sized team. And so I think this one's really, really helpful for a lot of people. But first of all, it'd be great, Mark, if you could just give us a quick intro to yourself and Drift and, and what you what you do there. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show, Ellis. It's a pleasure. Yeah, my name is Mark Killens. I'm one of the marketing leaders at Drift. Uh, like you said, focus heavily on the, the content and community aspect of the operation. And Drift is a revenue acceleration platform. So we use the power of conversational marketing and sales to help businesses accelerate revenue. And we do that in three different ways. We help businesses create real-time personalized experience experiences that are going to help you drive more pipeline. We're going to help you connect with your customers instantly to in- increase your sales effectiveness and productivity. And we're going to help you just in- increase the engagement of your customers across the entire customer lifecycle so you can increase customer lifetime value. It's all about creating more personalized, authentic experiences uh, with your customers. Amazing. Thanks, Mark. I've got to say, as a customer of Drift, definitely recommend going and checking them out and finding out more about what they do because we're really happy with it. Anyway, this is not a pitch for Drift. This is about digging into what they do for as a company, but related especially to content. So yeah, I want to dive right in and ask you about how your team is structured and its size. I think it's important for people to have this context when they listen to what happens next in terms of what you guys have achieved. But yeah, I'd just be really interested if you could walk us through that. Absolutely. So you can probably guess by my title that I focus on content. So we have a director of content marketing, Gail, Gail Axelrod. She's fantastic. You can guess by my title that I focus on community building, but what does community building really mean? So that means we have someone on the team focused on using and growing our Drift Insider community and experience. We'll probably dive more into that today, Alice. And then we have someone on the team focused on events and a social media type of community building. So, you know, building engagement outside of our owned properties. And then finally, we have a person, it's growing, it's going to be more than one person soon, focused on learning and development. So we believe that actually marketing should be the team that is responsible for the learning and development of both um, employees, we call them drifters, and of your, your customers and buyers. So learning and development also falls underneath my responsibility. But if you think of it as those kind of like four core functions, learning, learning and development, you know, community building, events, and content, that's what our teams are responsible for. And we act as a service to the rest of the organization, not only to the demand gen team and the customer marketing team at Drift, which are two separate functions, but a service to our sales team, our customer success team, our people team, and really are making sure that we're providing the, the right things to help them reach their goals. Uh, so we really do act kind of as this you know service. I wouldn't call it an agency because it's much more collaborative than that, but we we partner closely with a lot of different functions. Amazing. And what's the size of that team and what are the roles within it? As in with so this, content specifically, for example, how many people have you got within that? 
Yeah, full-time content marketers, there's only four of them. So it's not that big. The whole team right now, including myself, is about 10 people, soon to be 11. The marketing team at Drift, though, right now is around 36 people. So it's not a, it's not a huge marketing team. Drift is over, over 400 people now. So we're pretty lean and mean for our size. We, we achieve that in many different ways. One way, though, is using integrated campaigns as a way to really organize and focus the team to reach our pipeline and revenue goals along with the top of the funnel engagement goals. But integrated campaigns have been a huge thing that we've been using now for, man, it's over a year now, um, if you're listening to this, when it, when it came out in March 2021. And uh, th this concept of integrated campaigns helps us align on the themes, the messaging, the offers, and the channels across the entire marketing team and, and in partnership with the sales team. So it's a lean team, but we get a lot done. So just wanted to dig into that a bit more, like how does that work in practice? So like, do you guys set what those campaigns are going to be on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis? Like if one of the stakeholders who are involved in that, how, how does the work get split up? Yeah, I could ask you millions of questions. Yeah, no, happy to. So it started out quarterly. We would do like quarterly campaign themes and messaging you know, changes. Just recently, we've changed our campaign themes to be Basically, annually, the the brand one is actually going to be going to be around for eighteen months at least. Uh, that one is around the concept of the revenue era that we're trying to educate the the world about. The more like solution based theme will be around for probably at least twelve months or so. We have always on type campaigns too that are more on the digital side that are just things that are always on that are going to continue to generate we call them interested people, but leads and pipeline for the business. In the past though, we used to kind of change those campaign level themes up every 90 days. Now we feel we're getting more mature. We need to stay very consistent in the, in the market with messaging. So we have like two really core campaign themes. Then we have a theme around our you know, just employment brand and just who Drift is. You know, we, we want to be a different type of SaaS business. We want to be a different type of business overall. And we want to, you know, really change how corporate America, you know, you know, looks and acts. So we really believe heavily in that. So that's another one of our campaign themes. But really, we have those three, those three to start with, and then we have these always-on campaigns. And then inside of that, we do quarterly planning. Though we still keep quarterly planning a a function of the process, and that means we're going to look at the revenue plan and look at the bottoms-up approach of our revenue plan. So meaning. You know, how much revenue are we trying to generate in, in the next quarter? What's the pipeline goal? How much pipeline coverage do we need? All the way through to, you know, leads and engagement at the top of the funnel, brand awareness. And we're going to work as a team to figure out what we maybe need to build new. But a lot of the times it's around, you know, reusing, refreshing, repackaging, repositioning, repositioning existing content, existing offers, existing things to help us reach those goals. So, um, it might seem like we're creating a lot of net new stuff, but a lot of the times it's us being really smart with what we've already created or being smart in the content partnerships we we form and develop over time with other businesses that have you know a similar audience uh, that we're going after. That's really interesting. I think we'll dive into a bit more in detail on some of those areas a bit later, but yeah, that's that's really interesting. And a question about the types of content that you focus on at Drift. What's working best for you right now? How has that evolved as Drift has grown? Like you're up to 400 plus employees now, I guess, in terms of content types, you've matured probably as well, but how has that journey been and how has it shifted your focus? 
So I think of content as a, as a concept, uh, in a concept that I call like cornerstone content. And there's really five cornerstone content types. One is events. Events is actually a really powerful cornerstone content format because the event itself is made up of, of content in a lot of the ways. That's the success of the events. But then also like you can reuse that content from the event in a lot of different interesting ways. We can get into that. But events is a cornerstone content asset. At least I call it that. Um, you have episodic uh, content such as like podcast shows, video-based series. So, you know, shows I would call like this. This is a show, right? This is a form of episode, um, you know, maybe episodic content. But at the same time, like it's, it's cornerstone because you can do so much with this asset. Another type is books, digital books or physical books. That's another type of cornerstone content. Another type is research reports. Research reports are super powerful, especially if you do them in partnership with an entity that has a lot of trust in the market. So that's another thing we can talk about. And then finally, like courses, courses that have a certification at the end, an assessment at the end or not. It's just, it's just a course to learn something made up of like lessons and classes. So those five types of cornerstone content can be built either bottoms up or top down, meaning you can build something over the course of say three months and then launch it. You can build this, you know, write this new digital book and it launches. And then you do all these amazing things with the content in that book over the next six months, 12 months, even one of our best performing books. We're going to update very soon has been around for almost two years now called the MQL is dead. So anyway, like you could do that or you could do or bottoms up where you actually release the chapters, write the chapters over time through say the blog, and then you compile those into a really nice digital book experience. Uh, so that's how we think about it. And that's how we get so much done. And I, I really believe I've been using this strategy for a long time back in my HubSpot days and now at Drift. This is a really effective way to keep your messaging consistent and keep the things you're, you're teaching people from like a thought leadership all the way down to like a tactical level consistent, but also to help you get a lot more value from your content and make make your content and, and your media operation, your business seem bigger than it even is. Yeah, I love that. And actually, it's really interesting, that whole bottom up piece in terms of building content. I think if you're like a smaller scale company, you know, you know maybe you're, you're like a few marketers, that is the way like I've always built out content from like when I'm the first marketer in, because it means that you can gradually build it up and you can get value straight away rather than spending like four months on a book and then releasing it all in one go. So it's quite lean. Like I like that a lot. Yeah, that's great. And then one thing that, I mean, if you don't follow Mark on LinkedIn, definitely give him a follow because he's posting amazing content pretty much daily by the looks of it. But I, I saw a post recently that you did and it was around um, this whole idea of a remarkable brand. And I guess like HubSpot is definitely one of those and you work there. And, and for me, like Drift feels very similar. So how, like what role does content play in building a remarkable brand? And like, how have you approached that? I think it's super important. I mean, brand and content kind of go hand in hand. I mean, I think one of the ways that we at Drift built this amazing brand in some ways is through the Seeking Wisdom podcast, Drift's first podcast, its flagship podcast. It's still you know, being hosted today by David Cancel, our CEO and co-founder. Been around for five plus years, hundreds of episodes. That in a way had really sparked a lot of the brand building we did it also sparked the community, in fact, I think. So you can you can use content as a way to, to be the spark to the fire, 
as a way to really build the brand. But I, I don't think you can build a brand without a strong sense of content and being really deliberate in how you create that content. So it, it all to me starts with a couple of things. One is like, you need to have a mission and a set of values and principles for the brand. You need to have like a, a longer term vision in, in some ways as well. Right. And you need to be able to communicate that, you know, clearly and communicate that widely. But you know, that's, that's not just enough. You need to understand like who you're trying to build this connection with, build, build this trust with, build a fellowship with, build a sense of belonging with, and you need to figure out like, how to make your brand different than what's already going on in the market, Ex especially, you know, as a lot of businesses do, they enter in a, into a market or to a category or to a, you know, a subcategory that has competitors, that has existing brands and players. So then you really got to think thoughtfully about like what makes you different, how you're going to stand out from a content standpoint, from a design standpoint from an experience standpoint. And I believe that matters more and more than ever before. You know, actually David, our CEO just recently posted something on LinkedIn that's getting a ton of interest around how, you know, it's not so much about brand building anymore. It's about building icon icons, becoming an icon in your industry. Something, you know, kind of like what Nike's done. So I think it's going to continue to be super important and to continue to be a competitive differentiator, but content at the end of the day, is, is a force multiplier and it, it's so essential to building a brand. And then how have you thought, like how, I guess when you started out with Drift, like how did you set out like how you were gonna be different and how you were gonna tackle those things like in a very real actionable way, I guess. I mean, we just aligned to the principles, right? So one, one of our principles is, is, you know, to put the customer at the center of everything you do. And we, these are all very well defined. So for us, it's about being conversational, about being authentic, about being genuine, about using, imagery that always has a real person as part of that image, right? No stock, stock photography, nothing in terms of animations or graphics, right? Relying really on the principles of human psychology and behavior. We're very big into studying how humans behave, looking at the patterns in the past and understanding how those patterns translate into new patterns. So we have a saying that that says innovate don't invent oh you know take what take something that's going on right now take something that's working and tweak it innovate it but don't have to invent something from scratch that that's not how creativity works so for me it's all about like understanding you know what what was working what what you know we could add on to and then for for me really though the thing that i was tasked to do and i'm still working hard on it with the team is to build out the category like drifts created the conversational marketing category I did a lot of this at HubSpot with, with inbound marketing in the inbound category. But at the time when I joined Drift in, in early 2019, the category was still, you know, smallish. And then people thought of it as like a chatbot when they heard conversational marketing. And now we need to elevate that. We need to explain how conversational marketing and sales makes up revenue acceleration, our new category, how revenue acceleration works, why it matters, why now, why Drift. And so we, we really think through the life cycle of our content. So if you don't you know, plan your content out by life cycle through not just like acquire, engage, accelerate, but you have to think it through it from an adopt, expand, advocate standpoint. And we have the team really aligning our content strategy to those life cycle stages and to our two core personas of sales and marketing. So it, you know, it starts, I think it always goes back to the audience. Like it goes back to the audience and those missions and values and principles. If you haven't well defined those two things, those two sets of things, I, I would go back. And if you haven't looked at them in the last say six months or more, you got to go back and look at those things. 
that's that's leads me on really nicely as well to the next the next question which you touched on a little bit there which I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on which is so we create this amazing content but then how do we get like eyes on it how do we distribute it I think well this is really interesting for me at the moment because I think it's a challenge always and I've heard people talking more and more now about focusing on hiring specifically for this role and how it should become more and more recognized and so I'm just interested to know like from the drift perspective like how does content distribution work where does that role sit is there someone dedicated to it those things really. Yeah, so we we don't technically have a huge distribution focus other than through earned media, community engagement, and like Drift Insider and that Drift Insider membership flywheel, which, okay, you know, if you think about those three things, it's actually pretty big. It's pretty significant. So we do play a, a, a big role in distribution, I would say, but not maybe as big as like the demand gen team and our customer marketing team and the sales team. So I really believe the best content marketers have to be great at building relationships and partnerships with both internal and external stakeholders. It's one of the things I look for very closely when I'm hiring a content marketer. And it's also, you know, related to how you want to actually like create the content. That's a whole other conversation we'll get to, I think. But the partnership aspect of of content marketing is super important. So when when demand gen is is needing something. And this is why we do integrated campaign planning, right? We, we plan our content and plan our offers out in advance. We work closely with those teams so they can, I would say, kind of keep us honest, right? There's like checks and balances to your content marketing, which is super important. So for example, on the demand gen team, and this is the way we did it at HubSpot, we have someone, her name's Caitlin at Drift. She focuses on SEO and she is guiding us in how we create really strong content to maximize our SEO potential, right? And that's a way in which we then are, you know, still creating great content, but there's there's a check, right? And a balance in what we're creating, when we're creating and how we're structuring it. And there's someone specialized and an expert in that. Um, I know for some smaller businesses, it might not be possible, or you might have a more of a generalist who's doing SEO and something else. But I really believe in the fact that you want to have a uh, a centralized content function that spans the entire life cycle of the customer experience. But then you want to have a demand gen team focused on new business, new business pipeline, and then a customer marketing team focused on expansion pipeline to help you, you know, decide what content to create or update and why. Great. And actually there's two things in there I want to dig into, which is interesting. SEO hire being in the demand gen team, but we'll probably come onto that later. And then you were talking about what you look for when you hire into the content team, which I thought was interesting. So this question to you, what was, would be your first content hire? What are the attributes that you look for? And yeah, how do you go about deciding? Like it could be a generalist like we were speaking about. And I guess it changes at the stage of company you're at, or it could, you know, it could be something else. I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a great question. I get, I get asked this a lot. I just spoke to someone else about it last week. Uh, the first and most important thing that you have to look for is someone who's passionate about what the company is doing. So, you know, for us, they have to be passionate about marketing and or sales or both. Right? They, they have to have passion for the topic, the, the highest level topic, um, the category. They have to be passionate about the category. They have to be passionate about the brand. Passion is the most important thing I look for when I, I'm hiring anyone, especially the first content marketer. The, the second thing is someone who can be a partner, like we already talked about. Third, and I can dive into that more, but the third thing would be someone who can understand the business context and has, you know, 
experience genuine demand. I mean, because you're going to still, even if you're someone else genuine demand, that first content marketer needs to understand how to, you know, use content, not just for brand building and awareness, but to turn it into a performance marketing function. So they need to understand the funnel. They need to understand how that funnel fits into generating and retaining revenue for the business. They need to, they really need to understand that. And then I think the, the, th the fourth thing is like someone who's super curious and someone who's like someone who loves to learn and just is, just has that innate trait in them, that innate, innate characteristic of someone who's like a lifelong learner. I think those four for me are the most important uh, when it comes to like a first time content marketing hire. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but those are like my top four right now. And so interestingly, like one thing you haven't mentioned, I guess, is like the ability, their copywriting ability. Are they a great writer? Is that part of what you look for? Obviously, but is it less important than those other four factors? That's a great point. That's kind of the one I, I did not explicitly say I glossed over because I, I made the assumption that's kind of just like you have to have that, um, you know, as part of, you, you know, being qualified as a content marketer. But I would agree. Yeah, they need to be. They need to be good at creating content, but then they need to also understand how to scale themselves through partnering with, say, freelancers or an agency or other people and use the right tools to actually scale themselves, such as things like Descript um, or, you know, Rev.com to translate content and then be able to, like, figure out how to then, like, organize their content in a way that makes sense. And that goes back to my whole point around, like, Cornerstone content. They have, like, a way to think about creating content in a way that's going to become digestible and even become, you know, more bite-sized in the form of micro content. So there's like a strategy piece to that, which kind of goes to the point I made around like being able to understand it, understand how to use content from a business performance demand gen side of things. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, they got to be good at writing. They got to be good at editing. Because I think it's just an interesting point is I think the mistake a lot of people make is they hire a copywriter or a great writer, but not for any of those other things. And that's, they're so important. Like, it's almost like that has to be the given, but the other points are the thing that's like the X factor. That's just why I want, yeah, really interesting. And then I wanted to touch on like how the content team work with and integrate the rest with the rest of the marketing team. So I, I mean, no, you've touched on it a bit, but interested to note that the SEA person sits in demand gen and not content. So it'd be interesting to understand like why that is and yeah, thoughts on that. Um, and if you've got any key learnings in terms of what you guys, how you integrate well, or the evolution of that, mistakes you made that you would recommend to others you don't do. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So, I mean, you could do it either way. I really think it's better this way, though, because you want SEO and organic to be a really strong growth driver long term. You want it to be this organic flywheel that happens and you want to have it make sure it's part of your overall marketing growth engine. So because of that, it should live in the marketing team's growth engine, which is demand gen. And even if you only have a two or three person demand gen team, still, I would have it in that organization so they can understand when they do forecasting. When they think about the customer journeys from people that come in through organic search at different stages of the funnel, when they think about which keywords we need to go after, the performance of the website, all of these things, th those folks can, again, be the checks and balances and be specialized in understanding those technical components of content and technical components of websites and SEO these days. And then the content marketers can be great at storytelling, at narratives, at teaching, at motivating, at it's and, and inspiring, and really understand the the people, right? So there's like less technical stuff; it's more the people side of things. So I really just believe it's 
it's a strong way to get both. I've seen it work well in two really you know, great companies, Drift and HubSpot. So I, I don't think I would ever change that uh, for the time being. Cool. And then I guess in terms of how you work with other teams, so like how does it work on a day-to-day with the demand gen team? Did they, like, is it they brief you guys or is it that you, like, you've set the plan so you you guys have got your content calendar and you're, you're writing that and then you share it with them and then they might feed back in? How does it work? I got to uh, I got to make a plug for what we just released. Uh, so sorry, we released this in in the middle of March. You know, folks might be listening to this way down the road in the future. Uh, but in the middle of March of 2021, we released with Asana, uh, which is an amazing project m- management platform, uh, a integrated campaigns toolkit that includes templates, UTM builders, frameworks, all of these different things. That is how we do it, Ellis. Like that's that's really all the secrets in that huge piece of content. And that's that's gonna show you what we do day to day. So we use Asana for all the day-to-day pieces. That's how we manage the team. Um, in fact, we're bringing on a, a program manager to really take our uh, project and program management across the entire marketing team to the next level. I typically suggest you do that when you have about a 25 person marketing team 25 to 30 person marketing team, bring in someone who can be the overall program project manager. Trust me, you'll, you'll, you'll see benefits. You'd be like, oh, that's still a small team. Like you'll see major efficiency gains and benefits by doing it early versus waiting until you're 50 or 75 people. And then we, we, we communicate, we're a digital first organization outdrift. So our team can work from anywhere at any time. It's completely digital, you know, remote first. So we really rely on using asynchronous communication, such as email, sometimes synchronous communication in real time through Slack, of course. Uh, but a lot of the times we use a lot of uh, Drift video. So we have a, a video product uh, that comes with Drift and we send each other a, a lot of videos back and forth to help people understand updates on things instead of doing a meeting or instead of sending a long email. Let me send you a three or four minute video. I personally create five, six internal videos a week for different people across the marketing team and other teams. So that's kind of the ways we, we manage it all. And the quarterly piece comes, you know, you know, every 90 days, we have an eight to nine week kind of cadence where we do the planning. And then every though two weeks, uh, it's actually every month as a marketing team, we get together and look back and reflect and see what's going on. But every week we look at the numbers as a marketing team. We have a marketing metrics review meeting every Friday. And then actually we report out to the whole company about marketing's performance and what, what's, what we're learning across the different teams every Monday during our company ritual called Monday Metrics. So there's definitely, there's definitely different cadences day-to-day versus week-to-week versus month-to-month versus quarter-to-quarter. And I think you should be thoughtful in, in creating those as your company gets bigger. I'd say anytime there's, you know, your company's, you know, more than a couple dozen people, I would even say when it's even just like two dozen people, I would start to put these rituals and processes in place. It's something Drift has done early on, and it's it's really been beneficial, especially as you go like digital first. Amazing, thanks. I just wanted to dig into one thing, like that program manager role. So, what what would be their yeah? What's their remit? Like, what exactly is their day to day? Because I just think that's really interesting. I haven't heard of that before. Yeah, they so we we use a process called requirements, scoping, implementation. So for you know bigger things like a website redesign, as an example, how do we how do we define the requirements? How do we scope those requirements against the goals? And how do we actually um, implement the project? They are going to be there to help do that across the entire marketing team. So not just integrated campaigns, but anything that comes up that we're trying to do that's part of our 20, you know, 21 
objectives, but then also, you know, the 10 to 20% of your marketing team's time that should be focused on innovation type things, you know, jumping on, for example, a, a project to help us get like, you know, our clubhouse strategy up and going, that person can help with those types of things. Um, but really when you're on 25 people and you start to specialize at your marketing team more 20, 25, 30 at the most, I'd bring someone on. I really would. Really interesting. Um, I can, cause I can relate to some pains, like growing pains that we have. We're at 16. So I guess we're not there yet, but definitely on our way to being there. So that's interesting. And one thing that I would want to touch on as well, because you talked about the tracking marketing metrics that you have that meeting um, weekly. So leading on from that, how do the content team work in terms of metrics? Like what are you tracking? What are you reporting on? Yeah. What are your KPIs? Yeah, we track a lot. What gets measured gets improved, right? The famous quote. And I like to track everything weekly. So we do something called weekly pacing. So we set goals quarterly, just like the rest of the marketing team, the rest of the company. And then we, well, on my level, I have an, a biannual. So every six months we set a goal for, you know, the senior leadership team and above, but those trickle down into our quarterly goals and then into our, our, our monthly kind of, you know, pacing and then weekly pacing. So we look at everything. So for content, we look at content engagement. So that is, we set a shared visit, you know, visit goal, a traffic goal um, with um, the demand gen team with the SEO you know, person, Caitlin. We look at downloads, even though all of our content is ungated, we still have people, of course, downloading the PDFs. Uh, we look at podcast listens. We look at newsletter subscriptions. We look at open rates. We look at click-through rates. We look at engagement across different social sites. We look in, in Drift Insider signups and Drift Insider member engagement with our content. I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating, Ellis. I think we look at 50 to 60 different metrics for our content to make sure we're not we're not, we're not like missing something, right? And we're not like, we're spotting a problem before it becomes a gigantic pothole. So I'm just, you know, it, it's taken us, taken us a little bit of time to, to get into this rhythm, uh, but the team's been been really great at executing this for a long time now. And it's it makes a huge difference. Well, that's only really for like our top line and sec, you know, um, supporting sub goals when it's a goal that's either a leading or lagging indicator of one of those goals. I mean, anything where it drops more than 10% really, right? 5%, you know, it's probably fine. Cause it's like, that's like one business day out of the month, but then 10%, 15%, you know, any of those drops, we might take a pause and say like, is this a trend or is this not a trend? So really the reason we do pacing is to see trends. If it's trending, down over the course of three weeks then it's like oh boy there's probably a real problem if it's two weeks it's like all right let's watch this but we still feel confident in our strategy and we should be okay if it's a blimp we we notice it we try to figure out cause and effect but we don't like panic yet the trends is the really the key and that's why i like doing the weekly pacing cool and i want to because i'm conscious of time i want to dig into the whole communities piece because that's obviously a big part of what you do as well and i'm really interested in this it's something we've talked about a lot at cognizant but just never really got off the ground so how are you approaching communities at drift what's working for you and, and how have you got it off the ground and made it so successful? Yeah. I mean, community, I say this so often. It's like, it's like, what, well, what is community, right? It's like, it's a really broad thing. I, I, like, why would you want to try to build a community? I guess like, what's your goal for community? Uh, let me throw it back at you actually, Alice. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question, mainly from a customer perspective. So 
what we found is, I guess we're a fast growing SaaS startup doing quite a lot of great things in both marketing and sales. We want to be able to share that with our customers and be able to share it in a way that's like meaningful and also for them to get insights from the rest of our customer base, because we feel like that's quite a unique opportunity for everyone to be learning. So that is where we're coming from with it. And I guess what we haven't worked out yet or defined is how we're going to actually activate that in practice. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think you have to think of community building both like, um, if you can use the term like onsite and offsite or like owned versus rented. So we build our community in all these different places, right? LinkedIn is a very big place. We build our community, some on Twitter, there's a little bit on some other sites, but uh, you really want to think of community holistically. And the first thing you want to do is like get your team to be it's some of its strongest community members. So I view everyone at Drift as part of the community, of course, and all of those people are here to help us build the community. They're all stewards of the brand. They all have a brand responsibility. They have the ability to take Drift to, you know, geographies and people and um, audiences and communities than, you know, more so than like the marketing team, marketing team could ever do. So the marketing team is there to help empower them, help them become great community members. And, and again, like these brand stewards and advocates. Uh, so that's like where I would start with, with your team. I, I'd really start that. And I think employee advocacy and learning development and teaching people um, in the company why this is so important, how they can get involved are the essential pieces, uh, the, the essential building blocks and making this part of your culture. This is a cultural thing that has to happen. It can't just be something that you do as programmatically. It's got to be both cultural and programmatic. And it requires the leaders at the company to be very, very active as well. Um, so maybe, I don't know, would you say some of those things are happening today in your organization? Or do you feel like you have to kind of change the culture first? Yeah, it's a good point. We're definitely moving in that direction and doing more and more of it. So we run like personal branding workshops with all of our sales and marketing teams. But again, we should probably, we need to be, Doing that should be a wider business goal rather than just like sales and marketing. And we are setting sort of the guidelines around that and trying to advocate for its importance, but it's not probably, yeah, a solid part of onboarding of new employees or again, not fully rolled out across the whole business. So there's a lot we could be doing better, but we're sort of getting started, I guess. Well, that's great. No, that's good. It's like, it's like starts with consistency and you have to get other executives involved too, not just marketing, not just sales. Like I really think the CEO needs to be a big champion of this. It's got to be the culture. You have to use you have to use your principles or values of the organization as your community principles. Yeah, there could be some changes to them, but I really believe like, why would your values as a business be different than your community values? Because the business is trying, to, is trying to be the one that sparks the community fire in a, in a few different ways. One of the ways we talked about in the past, which was content or through the power of conversations, right? You're, you're having people come together somehow through the power of conversation and those conversations then lend itself to say, look, we need to build a more organized community where conversations both happen online and in person. But I do believe that like it starts both bottoms up and tops down. It can't just be one or the other. I think that's great. We've actually got a value workshop literally next tomorrow. So this is really good timing. I'm going to be putting this forward as something we should be talking about. So thanks. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm conscious of time. So I will move on to kind of the last question I had for you, but there's so much we could dig into here. I just wanted to know what what you'd leave our listeners with in terms of your top content marketing tip, really. One thing that you could tell people to either start doing or stop doing tomorrow, what would it be? Stop creating content that's not 
focused for the right people and, and stop creating content just for the sake of creating content. Like be thoughtful in how you approach your content strategy. So really lean into this idea of cornerstone content and then you know, using the content that you create in this like large you know, format across many different channels, across many different formats. I, that's why I love video-based podcasts or just audio-based podcasts because you can do so much with that content. We wrote a CMO Secrets um, digital book from many different podcast episodes we did over the years with CMOs, right? Then we took snippets from that book and those podcasts and used them across social as audio clips. We There's just, just so many things you can do, right? When you think about content in a more strategic way. So please try to think through the strategy and understand how it's impacting the business. So I'll leave you with that. Like, don't just think brand or lead gen, get your content strategy down to pipeline and revenue and ultimately like customer retention. That's where you ultimately need to be measuring your content. If you're a SaaS business is how is it helping us sign up better customers, right? With a like, with a higher likelihood to stick around because they're more educated, they're more bought in, they're more excited, you know, all those things, but you're also using content to, help your customers understand how your set of solutions, your product can be used in um, new, better ways to help them get to their outcomes. So it, it's, it's gotta be both. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great tip. Thank you so much for all your time, Mark. I mean, it's been really insightful chatting to you. I think there's so much we could, we should do a part two, to be honest, that we could dig into, but I realize that time's not on our side, but thank you very much. And um, yeah hopefully speak again soon, maybe for part two. Yeah, I would love to do it. Thank you, Alice. It was a pleasure. And th f thank you folks for listening. And if you, uh, if you want to reach out to me again, like LinkedIn is fine, <clears throat> or you can even shoot me a text. My phone number is 1-978-226-6965. Feel free to shoot me a text. I will definitely respond. But yeah, LinkedIn is fine as well. You're the first person to give out their phone number on the podcast as a call to action. Amazing. Love it. <laughs> Community building. <laughs> I love it.